Well, I'm excited about tonight. I'm actually preaching on worship. I love worship. Uh, we actually have Tom and Nazelli Fesslian tonight have a conference that they're kind of putting together. And so a bunch of our guys who normally show up with them are not with us tonight. So I think I'm going to ask you guys in that section to move over in this one. That section over there, move this way. And maybe that section over there to move this way. So that we're all kind of together instead of so spread out. Awesome. I'm excited about tonight. Um, sometimes I get up to preach and I wonder what God's going to do. But I feel like the Lord has some things for us tonight. I'm preaching about worship, actually. And um, I kind of was actually doing what I'm preaching about, and I forgot to start my iPad. So I'm waiting for it. There we go. For it to come up. Okay. Um, and I wanted to just kind of give some, some um, honest feedback as well. Like whenever we were doing the healing thing, I've realized that we need to start explaining sometimes what's happening whenever we're doing that so that it doesn't come across too weird. When Saul was going, come on, Saul's like a pit bull, okay? So whenever he sees like uh, something that, that he feels like the God's getting ready to do, he's just like, come on, come on, come on. And so whenever he was going, raise your hand, raise your hand, I was like, Saul. And I had him come over and I'm like, don't make your voice tone so intense, it's intimidating. He goes, oh, thanks. <laughs> Meanwhile, Shaddy took the, the microphone and Shaddy, you have to realize if you don't know what you're in the fivefold, Shaddy's the pastor, so he's rarely like really intense. He's kind of fun and, you know, Saul's prophetic. So if Saul's like a bullet. You know, he's just like, pow. So you kind of need to learn, you know, where, what are your spiritual gifts? It's, it's uh, maturing and coming to understand more and more about the character of God and what it is to be a believer. So tonight I'm going to talk about uh, learning to be a superhero. And I was going to have Sal, if you want to take the mic, I was just going to ask some of you guys, what was the superhero that you always wanted to be? So raise your hand if you know what your superhero always was. Right over there. <laughs> Leanne. I know y'all are really shocked about this. It was Wonder Woman and Linda Carter was the woman. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Okay. Right. I don't know if this counts as a power superhero, but I wanted to be the Pink Ranger. Awesome. <laughs> Awesome. Why did you want to be that? Sal, I'm sorry. I didn't warn you. Why did you want to be that? I don't know, because she was fun, and she was, like, really, like, completely opposite personality than I, what I was at the time, which was, okay. you know, a nerd. All right. Thanks for sharing. So I didn't have a superhero, but I wanted to be a Spice Girl, and in my mind, that was my superhero, Superwoman. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're alone, obviously. Anybody else? Right over there? You guys are chicken. Come on. I've listened to you at DNA. Okay, I know I'm a girl, but I've always been obsessed with Batman. So, <laughs> like, if you see my car, it has a Batman sticker on the back. So, 
Awesome. Okay, any of you guys? Come on. Devin. Iron Man. Iron Man. Oh, yeah. Why did you want to be Iron Man? Because he's a boss. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thank you guys for sharing. Um, All of us want to live lives that count. You know, my favorite um, movie is Braveheart, one of my favorite ones. And in that, at the very end, he said, all men die, but not all men truly live. And that's always been one of my passionate desires. I don't want to get to the end of my life and go, wow, I wish I'd have just had the courage to go for it. Um, If there's only one thing you can work on right now towards becoming a superhero, work on the worship. I know that sounds crazy, so let me explain what I mean by that. Um, I actually talked to Eric Knopf last October, November, and I said, we have a lot of things that we're working on. But in our ministry, the first priority is developing worship. And I'm not talking just about singing songs, clapping your hands, you know, uh, doing your happy jig or whatever it is that you're calling worship up here, um, although that's a big part of it. But I want us to develop a life of a lifestyle of worship. Um, In the last year, I've experienced the following, and this is going to sound like a country western song, I realize that, but I'm going to sing my song. So listen to this. In the last year, I had a kidney stone that was seven milliliters, which is too big to pass. I had no insurance, so after a $20,000 five-day stay in the hospital, I was dismissed with no meds to handle the pain. The following Wednesday, I received a letter that my house was foreclosed. That same day, I got a letter that my unemployment had run out. It seemed certain that I was going to move into Dale and Julie Betancourt's bedroom. So, not their bedroom, but a bedroom in their home. <laughs> Let me be clear. Um, so, at the age of 57, I was going to have a car. That was pretty much it, if I could hang on to that. Um, In the fall, it became evident that the $1 million that I had been promised by a businessman for our ministry was not going to come through. That's what actually gave me the guts to do this full time without any uh, paycheck for three years. Um, I used all my 401k to pay off my credit card debts. I tried to hang on to my house with that. And I spent the last $10,000 settling all of those. I just had one credit card or one line of credit because I used to make a lot of money. Uh, My last job, I made a lot of money. So I never really had to think about these things. Um, My last debt, they refused to settle, which forced me into bankruptcy, which was for me, Waterberries do not do bankruptcy because we're better than that. But... I had to go back and learn a lot about judgment and what that does to you and do a bankruptcy. There were a couple of other things along the way and some of them hurt worse than any of the things that are on my list. I just can't talk about those publicly now. It wasn't my great strength as a person or my understanding of where I was headed. It wasn't my powerful insights in the scriptures that helped me hold it together. 
It was my absolute determination to live a life of worship. And I kept myself around people who shared the same goal. So tonight I want to talk to you about that. Most of you know my personality. Um, I actually um, am kind of a pit bull myself. I'm just old enough that most of the time I rein myself in. But I'm fairly savage when it comes to worship because worship is so powerful. And we're talking about being a community of world changers. And I'm telling you, until we learn and understand the lifestyle of worship, it's going to be very challenging to truly step into that. So I, I just want to kind of share with you some of the things that the Lord showed me about worship. One of my favorite stories is in Second Chronicles. <clears throat> Um, and let's just talk about worship. If you think about a worship team, it's usually like really nice people. Um, you think of them as kind of artsy-fartsy. You know, they're um, usually not the most organized people. That's what we tend to, you know, they're just creative. And creative means just kind of, you know, like that. Um, thankfully, <clears throat> we, we do have a bunch of people on our worship team who have more than that, but that's kind of how we think of worship leaders. Um, I want to give you a little bit different story. In 2 Chronicles 20, <clears throat> I'm just going to read this story to you. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Meunites, there's a bunch of Meunites, have you ever seen them? Came to wage war against a guy named Jehoshaphat. And some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army, oh, and they do have it up there, okay, so I paraphrase a few things. Um, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, and they are close. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and prayed. Let me ask you, what do you do when you get alarmed? Alarmed is such a nice word. It means you're scared spitless. So Jehoshaphat, they come to him and they go, this huge army is coming at you. It's like, you know, the day that I got out, just spent $20,000, my house is foreclosed and my unemployment's run out. And that night, I had a leadership meeting at our house. Ah, uh, what do I have to say? Yeah, we serve a great God. If you haven't learned how to be a worshiper, you have nothing to say at those times. You can't lead a, a leadership meeting. We happen to have a powerful leadership meeting that night, and I will never forget it because in the past, I've always thought I had to be the leader, and I had to stand up and keep everything inside. And that night, I was sitting there. I led the meeting with all of my heart. I wasn't afraid, and I wasn't saying things I didn't believe in. But when I was done, the Holy Spirit said, your sons and daughters in this room are grown. You don't have to carry this battle by yourself. You can talk to them, and they will stand with you. So I had ministered to them. Then I turned around, and I told them all the things that were going on in my life. And I will never forget that night because I was not sitting there alone. And they turned around and ministered to me in such a powerful way because they had paid the price through the months and the years, the last three or four years that we've all been hanging out, they had paid the price to learn the meaning of worship. And the fact that we don't pay more attention to the facts 
than we do to the truth. Because it's the truth that sets you free. So that's the same thing that Jehoshaphat, he had that same heart. Whenever the facts look completely overwhelming, Jehoshaphat looked to the one who carried truth, and that was God. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite, and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. Now, today, it hit me. It's like, why does God always say, like, the son of the son of the son? You know, I mean, there's actually chapters, and that's all they are. Like ad nauseum. It'll go like five, six chapters, and it's all begats, and this person begat this person, because God is in the family. And if you don't understand community, and you don't understand family, and a lot of us don't, because we don't come from families where there's a lot of truth spoken, where there's a lot of freedom in the, in the, the house, then it's going to be really hard for you to understand how you fit in God's family and how to stand because you can never stand alone. God did not create us to stand alone, ever. In fact, God was in the garden when he looked at Adam and said it's not good for him to be alone. Which means you need to have someone next to you. So, Jehaziel says, listen King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. <clears throat> For the battle is not yours, but it's God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. Now, this is what's cool about God. He says exactly what's going to happen. But here's where your part comes in. Because, guys, we've heard sermon after sermon after sermon. We've had our quiet times. We've memorized verses. But if you don't start agreeing with what you're hearing and memorizing, it's never going to mean squat. When the army's bigger than you are and everything's coming against you, you're going to fail every time if you have not made the decisions to agree with the truth. We get all these tests that come against us, facts that look bad, situations that don't look good, and it's times like that when you find out who are you. And it's times like that when I feel weak because that's when I feel weak. It's like Jehoshaphat had said. He was very alarmed. He was afraid. I'm never embarrassed when I'm afraid. Because if you look at all of the great heroes of the faith, they all expressed fear. They all had very real times where they were terrified. But you have to agree with God when he speaks to you. And he tells them exactly what's going to happen. They'll be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. He says, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. How many of us have gotten prophetic words? Here. Yeah, look See all these hands? And so you hear the word, and you're like, right, that's going to happen. Because it seems so far from the facts. I started to say the truth, because we look at the facts, and we let them be our truth. I've had so many prophetic words over my life on prosperity. 
and what God is going to do for me financially. And I had a bankruptcy. When I found out that my house was foreclosed, it crushed me. But this is what my God did. I refused to become, I, f I refused to give up. It doesn't mean I didn't have bad days. It didn't, doesn't mean that I didn't hurt over it. It doesn't mean I didn't look at my house and ask God, are you serious? This is what I did, God. This does not make sense to me. God is never going to be intimidated by your honest questions and by your tears when you can't figure life out. He's never ashamed of himself because it's those times I tell him how I feel and then I ask him, what am I missing? It's so easy. I see people on Facebook all the time. My grandfather died and I don't trust God anymore. And I'm like, what in the world is wrong with you? I mean, it's okay to go, I'm really in a lot of pain because I, don't, because I lost my grand, grandfather and I thought he was going to live, but he did not. But when you take it that extra step and you accuse the father of not being a good father, you forget who you are. You are not God. You have to approach him. I approach him with all my honest questions and all my tears and all the things I don't understand and all my feelings. But I have to approach him with, God, this is how I feel. This is what happened. This is the prophetic word. These are what my circumstances are. These are what my facts are. What's the truth that I'm missing? Teach me. Where did I miss it? Because when I approach him that way, like I have people sometimes and they'll come to me and they're so mad at me. And they'll tell me something about myself sometimes. Like you, this, 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 and this, and this. All these accusations. And then when they're done, they're done. Okay. I care that you're unhappy. And I care that it's not great. But I can't do a thing about it. Because the way you just approached me, anything I'm going to say sounds defensive. Am I making sense? You have to go to God as a father. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground and all the people of Jeru Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. So it looks like tomorrow the fact is there's a huge army coming. But the prophetic word is nothing's going to happen. Not only that, you will not have to fight this battle. That makes sense, huh? Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. And that's a great leader. But here's the next part. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army. Think about it. They're getting ready to go out. The fighters are all behind these guys. So it's like our worshipers, they're going ahead of us. All the big bruisers, all the weapons, everything's behind the guys who are singing and dancing and worshiping the Lord and playing their stringed instruments. You know, if you're a worshiper, how are you going to feel? 
What would be some of your feelings? Just yell it out. <laughs> What's that? You'd be scared. So would I. They were sent ahead of the army. And I have a challenge for you. It says, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. And the Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. That, that heart, that fierce savagery when it comes to worship, that is what helped me walk through that country western song I just sang for you. And I'm telling you, if you haven't learned to do that, there's no shame to that. But if you ever want to be a man or woman of substance in the kingdom of God, you're going to have to mature and grow up and step into all those times when the facts look bad. You just lost your job. You're going to have to move back in with mom and dad, or you're going to have to move in to Dale and Julie's guest bedroom. You know, whatever your thing is, you just lost your car, you know, and then somebody stole your bicycle and your bus pass, you know, you washed it. I mean, it says, when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Baraka, where they praised the Lord. This is why it's called the Valley of Baraka to this day. I'm telling you, if you want plunder... If you want your life to work, if you want provision, if you want abundance, you're going to have to learn that when circumstances and facts look totally different, you got married to somebody and you thought they were going to be the answer to everything, and they are totally different from you. And you are like, what was I thinking the first time I ever said I'd go out with you? It's those times. You have to learn to praise him and worship him. Whatever facts there are in your life that look so dark, so grim, that make you question if you should ever read the Bible again, it's those times that I stand up here. Don't think I don't have these days. That I stand up here and I raise my hands when I don't feel like it. And I sing those songs with my mouth because if you don't involve your body and you're standing back there and you're doing this religious like, and that's not religious for everybody. There's no judgment. However, you do worship. But if all you're doing is looking like you're worshiping and your heart is not in it, because it doesn't mean when I raise my hands that I have feelings. There are so many times at the beginning of worship times when I have no feeling whatsoever. But I, if I will begin to enter into worship, you come in here and you're like, wow, worship's really dead tonight. I used to have a worship leader who stalked me like an assassin. He could not stand me. 
And God taught me to respect his position. And when he told me to raise my hands, to raise my hands in worship. Because God honors worship over everything else. Because he, Jesus came that we would have connection. God wants to be heart connected to you. And he's not if you don't learn to worship. Some of the things that keep us from entering into, into worship, people are like, what will people think if I start doing that? Raising my hands and singing, that's just not me. I need to be me. I want to encourage you to think about, think about it differently. Because I find that some of the people who are so great, and they're really quiet here, like Eugene, and I asked him if I could share this story today. Eugene used to come to Brigade, which is a, a group I used to lead in my home. And he would come in, he'd be like really quiet, you just really courteous and just, you know, really nothing. I mean, no personality, just, you know, but the nicest guy. But I would look at him on Facebook and in his Facebook pictures, when he was out at the club with his friends, he was like the life of the party. He was doing this and this and, you know, he had facial expressions, he had animation, he had everything. And finally, one night at Brigade, I said to him, dude, the guy at the club looks really interesting and like he's a lot of fun. But the guy who comes to Brigade bores me to death. So if you could ask the guy at the club to start showing up at Brigade, it would be a huge improvement. And you know, that guy started showing up and he actually preaches here every once in a while. Yeah. And he is not boring. Why? Because he learned to bring himself into the house of God, who he truly was. You got to bring yourself up in here. You can't be somebody else out, out there and then you come up in here and you're like, something you think looks religious. That is boring to all of us and God. Bring yourself up in the house and worship him. If you like to dance, dance. I know it's a little crazy. But give him what you got, because if you'll give him what you got, which is worship in the face of what looks like facts, he will give you plunder. And it may not happen, like it didn't happen for me overnight. But my father came to visit last year at the talent show. He watches our talent show. Like there wasn't this big altar call at the end. Hundreds didn't flood forward to, you know, Serve Jesus. Nobody got healed that I know of. Nobody even sang a worship song. We just have fun. And we walk out. And he met a bunch of you. We walk out. I don't think a thing of it. And two nights later, he has the same dream three times in a row. Gets up to go to the bathroom because he's 82. So, you know, you got to get up in the middle of the night. I got to get up in the middle of the night sometimes. <laughs> get up in the middle of the night. So he had to do it twice. Next morning, he goes... I had a prophetic dream. I'm like, whoa, my dad had a prophetic dream? Because he's a different generation. I didn't even realize there were so many things I didn't know about my dad. And he goes, yeah, I had the very same dream three times in a row. I want to tell you about it. I'm like, all right. So we sit down, and my dad, my dad is no joke. 
He built several churches. He's, he's a pretty amazing guy, but we were very different. My dad goes, this is what you're pastoring. The reason that you have the level of warfare you have against your home is because of what you're doing in the ministry. And you having a home is strategic for continuing to do that. He said, how much did your house appraise for? I told him, and he goes, I'll take that out of your inheritance. But as it turned out, one of his biggest concerns was that he would live longer and my sisters would get less because he gave me what that house was appraised for and my sisters were like, we don't care. Give him the house. My point that you have to believe is that never occurred to me that that was going to happen. And when Dale and Julie said that I could move into this big guest room that they have, we, Julie and I, because she's, you know, amazing. She's architectural. She's, we figured out how much my furniture would fit in there. And I told the Lord, I don't understand this. I don't know why you would let me get to this point. And that would happen. But I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to praise you. Every Thursday night, I'm going to keep meeting with the people that I meet with. I'm going to keep doing the things that God has called me to do. I'm not going to back down from what you showed me. Because if you doubt in the dark what God told you in the light, you will never be able to reach your destiny. Doesn't mean I wasn't afraid. I was really afraid. Sometimes people do make fun of us. I get made fun of because when there's a lot of anointing, a lot of times I'll shake and sometimes I yell. It's like God's little highlighter when you're reading the book, you know. Some people like Saul, he, he sees things. You know, God highlights people. God never highlights anybody to me like that. I don't see any light behind anybody. You know, Charity sees angels. I hadn't, I don't, one night I thought I was hearing an angel and I was standing next to Mike and Ashley when she was preaching. And I was like, do you hear that? And they were like, yeah. I, I thought I was hearing an angel all by myself. They go, yeah. I'm like, oh. <laughs> it was somebody behind us. She was amazing. But I didn't, it wasn't an angel. I just yelled. David's wife, David was a worshiper, a crazy worshiper. It talks about in 2 Samuel 6, 14 to 23. You can read the story sometime. He's dancing. He's dancing in a, what's a linen ephod. You know, there's all kinds of stories about what is that? How much of his body did it cover? I don't know how much it covered, but I know that his wife despised him in her heart because he wasn't fully dressed in some way. And when she returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him, his wife. She goes, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked and full of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. A lot of times we watch people worship and it's different than what we're used to. And we're like, hmm, that looks pretty weird to me. I don't remember seeing that in the Bible. Really? It said, David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. I just want to offer you this to you to think about. If you want to be a worshiper, it requires a sacrifice of some kind. 
And it's different for everybody. Some people love to be the center of attention, so their sacrifice is standing still and letting God be the only one who has attention. You know, there's some of us who just love if that spotlight, like, moves off of us. We're like, wait, uh, you know. So for you, it's like standing out of the spotlight or letting somebody else have the spotlight. It was not fun when God, I first realized that when there's powerful anointing and I open myself up to it, I look really stupid. I was not excited about that because I like to look really dignified and like I know what's going on. But every time God starts moving, I look like an idiot. So it took me a little while to kind of change my perspective. But here's the kicker. Michael, the wife who made fun of her husband, verse 23, and Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Why? Because she made fun of the worshiper. So every time I get made fun of, I'm like, all right, let me just step back here. Because whatever God's going to do, when you make fun of somebody who's worshiping and making a connection with him, it's not pretty. So I don't want not pretty to get on me when you get slapped. <laughs> Some people are like, I'm tired, I'm depressed, I'm preoccupied. I just don't feel like it. I can't, if you're a person whose whole life is run by how you feel, you're probably still working... Anyway, it's not good. I don't, want to, I don't want to say any judgment there. What level of intimacy do you want to develop with God? Because until you get to the place where you can have a horrible day, like Aaron and Amber will, the day their car got towed, I'll, I will not forget that. They walked in here and I went up and they were a little bit frazzled, but literally we talked a little bit, prayed about it. They got on stage and led us in worship. And you wouldn't have known it if I hadn't have told you. Why? Because in small decision after small decision, they ignored the facts and paid attention to the truth. And not only that, it's easy to do. That's a mental exercise. When you know people have really learned to pay attention to the truth, it's when they keep doing what God has called them to do, regardless of how discouraging the facts look. It's keeping those promises whenever your, your wife or your husband looks like nothing you thought you were marrying. It's working it out. We have a bunch of those people around here, and that is contagious. Hang out. When I have a week of getting pushed around by the enemy and I feel beaten when I get here, the most powerful thing I choose to do is worship. I hate a bully. I got bullied a lot when I was in school. And that's all the enemy is. He talks a good game. So he'll point out this fact and this fact and this fact and this fact. And he'll try to get you to pay attention to that. When he starts pushing me around like that, I don't push back because that gives him attention. I worship. I declare the truth over my life. When I feel like a fool because I've made some choice that's so dumb, anybody should have known better, I myself always wanted to self-destruct. I've learned not to do that because that's exactly where he wants to take me. Regardless of how stupid I am, I have a daddy who still loves me. So I declare that over myself. And I look forward to the future and ask him to help me not to screw up like that again. 
Worship is so much more than singing, raising our hands, and clapping. So I want to just share some of those examples, and then I'm going to be done. Some other forms of worship that are as important as singing and clapping and coming up here. Service to others, particularly when I don't feel like it. Facing all those things I told you about and still going for my appointments to meet with some of you. Walking in here and speaking the truth when it feels like such a lie. I had this bred into me by my mother and my father. But my mother, I remember one time, this family did some really hurtful things to us. And I, she was struggling with bitterness towards this woman, and I knew that. And one day she was on the phone, and I was standing behind her. And she was saying the word to a family. And then she, she turned around, and she caught my face, and she, you know, she said, I know what you think of me. But if it never works for me in this life, I will not stop saying what the truth is. I'll never forget that. You've got to get that into your spirit. It's coordinating an event for someone I love. Because if you've done that, I don't care how much you love that person, it's like hell before it's over. It's just no fun. Because there's a lot of ugly things that happen. But it's so worth it. Because you love them. That's worship. A lot of my gym workouts are worship. Because at my age, some of the stuff that I'm able to do, I shouldn't be able to, I think. I don't see very many guys my age doing it. So I thank God. And times when I'm having a hard time with my workout, I ask God for the power to have a good workout, to stay with it. It's editing someone's writing. I do that as worship. It's stepping out of my comfort zone. Doing the stuff that Shadi and Saul were talking about, that's out of my comfort zone. It's getting up after a pain a failure or a sorrow because there will be times in your life when you're going you're gonna to fail and you'll need a sense of identity and comfort that only God can give you. You've got to worship because that's the only place you're going to find it. Sometimes you will fail enough or you'll have a loss that hurts so badly no person can make it okay. The only comfort you're going to be able to find is from God. And if you don't develop your connection before that thing gets here, you're not going to have what it takes to stand the way you're going to want to stand. Hope does not leave without being given permission. It takes an act of your will to engage and to seek healing. So that's what, I'm, that's what I want to share, what I wanted to share with you. I want to encourage you Seek to be a person who worships. Because worship, more than anything else, is connection. What is it in your life that when you do that, how did God make you, first of all? What are your spiritual gifts? And then offer those to the people around you. As worship, expect nothing in return. Because there will be plenty of people who won't give you anything. But it's worship. And if you're doing it as worship, then when you're done, it's okay. Because you have a connection with your daddy. And when I feel his approval, it's great if I get yours. But honestly, there's a lot of times I'm with folk. And there's not a lot of, of stuff that comes back that goes, oh, that meant so much to me. When I feel that from my daddy, God, that's truly 
all that I need. So tonight, I just want to encourage you, if you'll do this, you'll go to a new place in your world and how you feel about your future. What happens today when you choose to stay connected to your daddy God all the time and worship him with all the things you're doing in your day? You will feel better. Your mind will stay clearer. Your relationships will improve. I promise you this. If you'll just nurture your connection with God, you can't be aware of love all day and not have people who love you. If you're a person who struggles with relationships, work on that connection, and all these connections will work out. So if the worship team will come up, we are going to just spend a little more time in worship. Um, and I'm going to ask Jared to come up and close the service. Thank you, guys. So why don't we stand up as we uh, go back into worship. And uh, if we can have the prayer team come up. Uh, we're going to have people up along the front here. And uh, if there's anything that's um, on your heart or just uh, for whatever reason you want to come up and get some prayer, it's always a good thing. So God, we just thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And um, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would just continue to teach this to us and that we would just learn how to live a life of worship. And as Eric was talking, I just I kept seeing a picture of angels just laying these bricks, and I feel like God's just really laying this foundation in our hearts. So Holy Spirit, we just give you permission to just come in. And to just teach us and show us how to, how to live a life of worship. So God, we just praise you. And we thank you and we just declare that you are good. And I just declare that we're all sons and daughters. And that we hear our dad so clearly. And I just release encounters just throughout your day moving forward that you look back at tonight and you go, yep. After that, I started just hearing God. Everything that I was doing, I just started walking with him. I started recognizing him. He's been there with you. So I just give you eyes to see what he's doing. And just to even feel him when he's just standing with you, when he's not saying anything. I just speak a blessing in Jesus' name.